الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين سيدنا وحبيبنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد أن عبد الله بن عمر رضي الله عنهما عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال أربع من كنا فيه كان منافقا وإن كانت خصلة منهن فيه كانت فيه خصلة من النفاق حتى يدعها من إذا حدث كذب وإذا وعد أخلف وإذا خاصم فجر وإذا عاهد غدر خرجه البخاري ومسلم في صحيحين وإذا عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال آية المنافق ثلاث إذا حدث كذب وإذا وعد أخلف وإذا أتمن خان وفي رواية مسلم وإن صام وصلى وزعم أنه مسلم Respected brothers and sisters inshallah uh, as we had done uh, a few weeks ago when Sheikh uh, Timimah was away we're going to be continuing with the uh, the addendum to the Arba'in of Imam Nawi that was uh, added on by Imam Hafiz ibn Rajab al-Hanbali So Sheikh Dimim has been covering this program for some weeks now And he's been covering the Arba'in specifically So to allow him to complete the, the Arba'in Inshallah, we're going to be covering the eight additional hadith That Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali had added on to the Arba'in of Nawawi Imam Nawawi to make it an even 50 Imam Nawawi had 42 So he added eight more and making it 50 so we covered the last two in previous weeks, Hadith 50 and Hadith 49. Inshallah, we'll be continuing in that order from the back, and today we'll be doing Hadith number 48. And inshallah, in these coming weeks, we'll cover, inshallah, most of these Hadith that Imam Ibn Rajab al-Hamali added to this collection. So Hadith 48 is on the authority of, it's narrated by Abdullah ibn Amr radiallahu anhumah, and it's also narrated by Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu. And it's narrated by other Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum as well. But in the, in the variation that is narrated by Abdullah bin Amr radiallahu anhumah, he mentions that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, أَرَبَعُمْ مَنْ كُنَّ فِيهِ كَانَ مُنَافِقًا وَنْ كَانَتْ خَصْلَةٌ مِنْ هُنَّ فِيهِ كَانَتْ مِنْ فِيهِ خَصْلَةٌ مِنَ النِّفَاقِ حَتَّى يَدْعَهَا The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentioned that there are four things that whomever these four things are found within them, then they are from amongst the hypocrites. And whoever has a quality from amongst these four, then they have one quality from amongst the four qualities of hypocrisy until they abandon that quality. And what is those four? That person who, when he speaks, he lies. When he makes a promise, he goes against his promise. When he debates somebody, when he gets into an argument, he transgresses the bounds. And when he makes an agreement, he violates it. This hadith was narrated in Bukhari and Muslim. Very similar to this is another hadith which is narrated also in Bukhari and Muslim by Abu Hurairah radiallahu an, wherein the Prophet mentioned that there are three signs of the hypocrite. That when he speaks, he lies. When he makes a promise, he violates that promise. And when he's entrusted with something, he becomes treacherous. And in another narration, narrated only in Sahih Muslim, it also mentions, even if that person prays and fasts and, and claims that he's a Muslim. So, before we go deep into this hadith, let's do a little bit of a, a, a preliminary understanding of some points. 
Now first and foremost, let's understand what is this hadith implying and what is it explaining. Because, you know, a lot of times people will hear these hadith and all of a sudden fear will strike them that, you know, am I a munafiq or am I not a munafiq or what is my state with Allah? Which is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it's in many regards, it's actually a good thing. And we'll get to that in a bit when we speak about the, the attitude of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum when they heard these points and how guarding they were of their faith. But let's first and foremost understand this from a technical perspective, first and foremost. That <clears throat> who is a munafiq in reality? What is the definition of a, a person who is a hip hypocrite? Also, before we even get to that, let's understand, brothers and sisters, a very important point. A lot of times, we translate certain terms from Arabic to English. There's certain terms that are very commonly used in Islamic, Islamic nomenclature, in Islamic uh, um, terminology, uh, terms that are used in Muslim circles. And frequently these terms are translated to English. They're not always precise translations. A lot of times they're rough translations. And a lot of times the terms have been defined in a very specific sense based on Arabic language and in a more specific sense based on Islamic usage. So we have to understand that these terms have definitions to them. So we need to understand the terms in accordance with their definitions, not necessarily on, in accordance with their you know, dictionary meaning in English, because that's, that won't be accurate always. I remember one time I was in a, in a certain gathering and there was a brother who was speaking and he got up and he explained, he read a verse of the Quran, the translation from, you know, the translation of uh, Abdullah Yusuf Ali. And he read that translation and in that translation, there was a certain term in the English. So he then pulled out the dictionary and he explained what this term means by the English dictionary meaning. The problem was that Abdullah Yusuf Ali didn't use a literal translation in that place. He used a meaning-based trans meaning translation and in that case, the meaning made sense. In that specific case, the meaning made sense as well. He, he didn't do anything wrong. He did what he's a translator is supposed to do. He's supposed to give a meaning which conveys the thought that is being explained in that, in, in that moment. And we know words often have a multitude of meanings. So he used the meaning that is applicable in that moment. But he didn't use the literal translation. Right? He didn't use the literal translation. So here you have a brother who looked at his translation and is trying to apply Webster's dictionary definition of that term when that term was never used in the Quran in the first place. You, you see how this is kind of, it can lead to some certain disasters? So we need to understand that terms have meanings and context, right? So when we say hypocrite, hypocrite has a very specific meaning in Islam. Not hypocrite, nifaq, right? Hypocrisy, the word that we use, that we're actually referring to is nifaq. Hypocrite, munafiq. This is what we're referring to. It has a specific meaning in English, it has a specific meaning in Arabic, and it has a more precise meaning when it's being used in Islamic terminology. Right? So when we're talking about hypocrites, I'm not going to use the word hypocrite today, I'm going to use the word munafiq or nifaq, right? the Arabic terms. Why? Because I don't want us to confuse the English meaning of these terms with what is being explained here. Loosely speaking, what is a hypocrite? Someone who says something and does something different in English, right? The Arabic meaning is not far off from that. But the specific Islamic definition of it, as it's used in Islamic terminology, as it's used in Islamic you know, uh, discussions, it's a little bit more specific. So nifaq, when we, term, when we explain it in Arabic language, it is a form of deception. Right? It's a form of deception, and it's a plot that a person undergoes 
The purpose is that the person is trying to manifest that he, has, he is doing good or he is well-intentioned. Right? He's trying to manifest goodness. Right? Idharul khair. He's trying to manifest goodness, but he's trying to conceal the opposite. And that, that is, he is trying to actually do something totally contrary to what he's actually saying. So when you say nifaq in Arabic, it's a type of treachery and deception where you're trying to show something good and you're trying to conceal something that is opposite to that goodness. Okay. However, when we talk about the shari'i meaning of this, when we talk about the meaning of this in Islamic discussions, in Islamic sharia, there's two possible meanings now. The first is an nifaqul akbar. An nifaqul akbar. What is that? It is a person who ayyadhar al insanu iman billah wal malaika wa kutub wa rasul and all the things that a believer believes in, while at the same time, it is that person, he is making apparent that he believes in Allah, he believes in the angels, he believes in the books, he believes in all that a Muslim is supposed to believe in. He is outwardly manifesting belief in, in Islamic belief. Whereas internally, he is hiding that which will go against his Islamic belief. Internally, he has other belief, he has other things that he submits to, and he is going against that internally. Either in its entirety, he doesn't believe in any of it, or he denies some of it. And remember, when we talk about belief and denial, what are we saying? It's not that you don't intellectually know, it's what you're willing to accept. That is who, who is considered to be a munafiq. And when we talk about the munafiqs, the hypocrites in the era of the Prophet Muhammad we are talking about specifically this category of person. In the verses of the Quran that speak about the hypocrites in the time of the Prophet, the munafiqs in the time of the Prophet, they specifically had this quality within them. That outwardly they would profess Islam, but internally they would perpetrate certain things that would go against that very Islam. Right? They would do things, or they would believe in things, or they had attitudes that would break their faith that they were professing on their tongues. The Qur'an revealed many verses in regards to them. The Qur'an declared that they were actually disbelievers in their true reality. And the Qur'an declared that there were those people that will be in the lowest places, of uh, the lowest depths of Jahannam. Right? They'll be fi darqil asfali minan naar. They'll be in the lowest pits of Jahannam, of the hellfire. This is the first category of hypocrite, munafiq. Where inwardly, they truly are, they do not consider themselves to be Muslims. Or they have certain beliefs or certain attitude which belie the Islam they are professing on their tongues. Specifically, it refers to those people in the era of the Prophet that were in that category. Now a person might wonder, why would people do that? They had ulterior motives. There were people that lived in Medina, that were in Medina, that were often leaders in Medina, before the Prophet ﷺ came. They found it politically convenient to consider themselves Muslims outwardly, to claim Islam outwardly, but inwardly they didn't believe, they didn't submit, they didn't accept. Inwardly they would actually do things to undermine the Prophet ﷺ. Inwardly they would actually do things to actually be treacherous to the Prophet and the believers. Inwardly they would do things that completely went against True faith. You can still have this category of hypocrite in this day and age as well. 
It's still possible for people to be in this category as well, but it won't necessarily be for the same motives then, it'll be for some other motives now. Sometimes people may find it politically convenient to claim Islam. Right? So when that happens, sometimes people may do this. There's a second category of nifaq, a second category of hypocrisy, which is known as al-nifaq al-asghar. Huwa nifaq al-amal. It's that a person, remember in the first one, they're professing faith, they're professing belief, and internally they're going against it. Here, they're professing righteousness, but internally they're going against that righteousness. This is known as the minor form of nifaq, the lesser form of nifaq the lesser form of hypocrisy. That we outwardly portray ourselves to be righteous, pious people, but inwardly we're doing something totally different. This is not a matter of belief and disbelief. In the first one, it was a matter of belief and disbelief. This is not a matter of belief and disbelief. This is a matter of doing something externally and doing something hidden in a way that is opposite to that. And these, and this Nifaq al-Asghar, this minor form of hypocrisy, the four attributes of the Prophet mentioned in the first hadith that we mentioned, or the five attributes in total, these attributes is what is referring to the Nifaq al-Asghar. That if a person has all of them, he's a complete hypocrite when it comes to this minor form of hypocrisy. And if he has one of them, he has one aspect of this minor form of hypocrisy. We need to understand that these attributes, they're not referring to, oh, you find someone, and then, now let's bring about a little uh, tangent here, right? Also, let's bear in mind a very important point. Why did the Prophet ﷺ mention these points? It's not for us to now go and start like having like a rubric we're going to gauge other Muslims by. He's 50% munafiq, he's 25% munafiq, she's three quarters munafiq. No, this wasn't a gauge for us to now go and judge people. That wasn't the purpose for why the Prophet ﷺ, why this came down to us. Yes, in that era, in that time, there was a specific need to identify those people because those people oftentimes were actively undermining the work of the Muslims. And there's many stories to discuss this. If we have time, we'll talk about them near the end. But they would actually do things that would try to undermine the community. They would take the secrets of the Muslims and give it to the non-Muslims. They would try in battle, they would actually deceive them and try to do things that would actually put the lives of the Muslims at harm and at risk. So, in a certain time, in a certain era, yes, these were things that tell people that look, if you see these qualities within people, just be wary of them, be careful of them. Even then though, it wasn't that the Muslims were going around hunting the munafiqs. In fact, one time, the leader of the munafiqs, Abdullah, Abdullah bin Ubay bin Salul, he was the leader of the munafiqs. His hypocrisy was so open that everyone had a hunch that this person must be a hypocrite. And then eventually what happened? Allah actually revealed verses word for word quoting him and demonstrating to the people that the person who said these things, that person is a hypocrite. So if you know who the person who said those things are, that leaves no question who this person is. So it became very clear to everyone that this person is not only a hypocrite, he's the leader of the hypocrites. To such an extent that Umar literally came to him and was like, you know what, O Messenger of Allah, like Allah was, now Allah sent down revelation. We know who he is. He's been exposed beyond the shadow of a doubt. So let's just do away with him now. Let's just do away with him now. Even then the Prophet did not allow it. He said, I don't, do not let the people say 
that Muhammad kills his companions because the people won't differentiate oh he was a hypocrite he's not a hypocrite they'll just say oh that person he didn't like him so he killed him so even then even though it became open the Prophet never actually persecuted them the Prophet never went after them as long as they outwardly claimed to be Muslims so much so that Abdullah bin Ubay bin Salud the Prophet even led his janazah the Prophet even led his janazah prayer Right? So we understand that this is not for the sake of actually trying to identify them, now persecute them, now hunt them down, now, now excommunicate them from the community. It was not for any of those purposes. So what is the purpose of knowing these things then? Why did the Prophet mention that these attributes are from the attributes of the hypocrites? These are, are, are benchmarks. These are qualities for us to gauge ourselves. These are benchmarks, these are qualities, this is a rubric, right? Like our Shaykh Mawana uh, Hashim, he likes to mention, that these are KPIs, key performance indicators. You take them and you analyze yourself, that where is the state of my own life? Do I resemble more the believer or do I resemble more the hypocrite? Do I have, remember we said this is the minor hypocrisy. It's not disbelief, but I'm falling into that category. I'm imitating that category. I'm doing things, my quality is opposing the claim of faith that I'm laying down. Yes, we won't say that person has left the fold of Islam, but yes, we'll say that this person is doing things that is very significantly going against his claims of Islam. So these attributes were mentioned for us to gauge ourselves. How much do we have this within us and how much do we need to work on ourselves in, in this regard? So these qualities that were mentioned by the Prophet is to help us recognize and identify this nifaqul asfaqar, right? This minor form of hypocrisy. And in total, by the multitude of narrations on this topic, there were five traits that were mentioned. And before we explain them in detail, I'm going to forward through this in a little bit and cover some of the things that Ibn Rajab speaks about at the end so we can understand some key points here. He explains what is the whole purpose of why the nifaqul asghar was delineated for us. What was the purpose of it? It's so that a person's internal state and his external state, his private and his public, his, his, his open and his secret, his every matter comes on one page. That person's Islam that is on the outside is the person's Islam on the inside. That that person has the whole package of Islam within him. So that a person, a believer's iman and a believer's faith becomes perfect. For a believer, we should be always analyzing ourselves and seeing, do we have these qualities within us or do I need to work on rectifying myself with regards to these qualities? So much so, that if a person was ever negligent in these regards, people would say that this is something which is totally inappropriate, this is totally something unacceptable. Rather, it was the quality of the Sahaba anhum that they were always criticizing themselves. Right? To what extent? Hassan al-Basri, one of the great tabi'een, right? one of the great tabi'een, he mentions a very important point that summarizes why is it important for us to understand this. That this matter of hypocrisy, this matter of nifaq, مَا خَافَهُ إِلَّا مُؤْمِنُ وَلَا أَمِنَهُ إِلَّا مُنَافِقُ Hassan al-Basri explains that no one will be afraid of these qualities of hypocrisy coming within them except a true believer. And nobody will feel that he's secure from these qualities except the true hypocrite. 
No one will feel secure from this except the true hypocrite. And no one will be afraid of them except the true believer. Why is that? The believer will recognize the Prophet didn't say this in vain. The Prophet said this to allow us to be able to take a lesson from it and inculcate it. So when the Prophet mentioned this, there was a benefit in it for us. So a person will be very fearful. Do I have these qualities within me? When I speak, do I tell the truth? Or do I lie? When I get into an argument, do I start going overboard? Do I start transgressing the bounds? And we'll explain what that means in a bit. Or do I have control over myself? When people trust me with something, do I betray that trust? When I enter into a contract, do I fulfill that contract or do I violate it? A believer will always be very keen, very mindful, very aware of making sure that no matter what happens, they make sure they don't fall into this quality of al-nifaqul asghar. Why? Because al-nifaqul asghar imitates and resembles al-nifaqul akbar. The minor nifaq, the minor hypocrisy, it imitates the major hypocrisy. And just like for example, if a believer, you know that there's a thing called shirkul khafi. There's a thing called minor shirk, minor idol, idolatry. Would you say, it's okay, I'm okay with minor idolatry. No believer in their right mind would be okay with saying that. I'm okay with minor idolatry. Just the term itself, just the description itself, should cause a shiver to go down a believer's heart, a believer's spine. The how is it possible that something which is referred to as minor idolatry, minor idol worship, how can I, even if it's minor, how can I feel comfortable with that being inside of me? If something was known to be minor disbelief, how can I be comfortable with that being within me? Just like that, if Allah says that al-munafiq, that the munafiq is in the lowest pit of the hellfire. Because remember, even hellfire has stages. The worst stage is where the hypocrite will be. That means the believer wants to be as far from hypocrisy, as far from nifaq as, as humanly possible. And this is why the believer will always be mindful and afraid. How can I make sure these qualities don't come within me? This is what Hassan al-Basri is saying. That no one is afraid of nisnifaq except the true believer. And nobody feels secure from it except the true hypocrite. Why? Because they already don't care in the first place. The reason they have those five qualities within them is because they already don't care. And that's why they feel secure from it. Because they don't have, it doesn't even cross their minds. We see sometimes people that they're going through life, they don't even think twice about the wrongdoing that they do. Brothers and sisters, we don't want to be in that category. This is what Hassan al-Basri is warning people from. He explains further that a believer, whatever, whatever he goes through in life and whatever remains for him, he's always going to be fearful of his actions being combined with this quality of nifaq, this quality of hypocrisy. And the hypocrite, no matter what he does or what remains for him, he's always going to feel, he's always going to be laid back. He's always going to feel secure. He's always going to tell himself, Allah is forgiven and merciful. It doesn't matter what I do. And that's why he says, whoever has no fear of this hypocrisy, then no, he truly is a hypocrite. Because he's claiming iman, he's claiming Islam, and he's doing nothing to try to guard that iman, nothing to try to uphold that Islam. What can be bigger, bigger nifaq than that? What can be bigger hypocrisy than that? Because what do we say? What is the definition of uh, nifaqul asghar? It is that a person claims to have some righteousness, but he does the opposite of that. Brothers and sisters, the moment we claim to say we're Muslim, what does it mean to say you're Muslim? Literally, who is a Muslim? The one that submits to Allah. So when I go to my colleague, I go to my, co my co-worker, I go to my friend, I go to my neighbor and say, I'm Muslim. We're literally telling them, I'm a person who submits to the will of Allah. And yet all my actions are completely going against Allah. 
That, that hits the definition right on the head. So this is what we're trying to guard ourselves from. Imam al-Ruzai, he explains a very important point. Imam al-Ruzai was one of the great ulama of the past from the Salaf. He was a contemporary of Imam Malik. He was a contemporary of the earlier ulama. Imam al-Ruzai mentions, and he discusses the story, that one time Umar radiallahu an, he became so afraid of this nifaq being inside of him, he went to Abu, uh, 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 he went to uh, uh, Hudayfa radiallahu an. He went to Hudayfa radiallahu an. Hudayfa radiallahu an was the person that the Prophet entrusted with a lot of the secrets of the Ummah. So when he went to Hudayfa, he went to Hudayfa radiallahu an. He told him, Oh Hudayfa, you know the Prophet informed you of who the hypocrites are in the community. There needed to be someone that knew in case the plots get worse. He says, you know who it is. Tell me, am I on that list? Imagine, this is Umar radiallahu an, right? The second Khalifa, the person who the Prophet promised paradise to. He's going to Hudayfa and saying, oh Hudayfa, am I on that list? Hudayfa, in the middle of the night, knocking on his door, banging on his door. Am I on that list? Hudayfa's like, no, how can you be on that list? And we might ask ourselves, how can Umar radiallahu an be afraid of being a hypocrite? How can he be afraid of nifaq entering into him? When the Prophet promised him paradise. Because understand that this is a, a quality, this is a state of mind. That a person is so, is so self-observant, self-criticizing of everything that they do. They are so watchful of their nafs that they don't feel comfortable no matter what happens. They keep catching themselves in whatever they do. A person asked Imam Awza'i, could it be possible that Umar maybe thought he was a real munafiq? Look, brothers and sisters, a very important point of belief comes up here. A Muslim does not say, I believe inshaAllah. We say, I believe definitely. Why? Because this is not the moment for saying inshaAllah. This is not the moment for saying maybe. No, no, no. When we say what I believe, we know what I believe. If you don't know what you believe in, then find out. Right? That's one thing that's important. Our belief is what shapes the way we view the entire world. We need to know what we believe in. We need to have certainty in what we believe in. It's not acceptable for a person to say, I believe maybe. Believe maybe is like saying, I may or may not believe. There's a 50% chance I don't believe. That's not acceptable. We say, I believe with certainty. Yes, I believe 100%. I'm a Muslim. So it's not that Umar was saying, Oh, Huzaifa, am I... Do, Am I one of those persons that actually does not believe? No. Umar anhu knew with certainty he believed. Imam Awzai explains that no, this is this, him asking Huzaifa this question. It has nothing to do with Umar doubting his own faith. Rather, what was he doing? Umar anhu understood this point. That when a person does certain deeds, they have certain qualities within them. There are certain deeds that a person does certain sins that a person does by doing those sins over and over and over again they follow deeper and deeper and deeper into sin until eventually that path of sin leads them into disbelief until eventually that path of sin will lead them into disbelief similarly there are certain things that if a person does over and over and over again if a person does certain things Eventually it can be that those deeds can lead them into Al-Nifaqul Asghar Into that minor hypocrisy And if a person continues to do those things of minor hypocrisy It can eventually lead them into the major hypocrisy So what was he afraid of? 
He's asking him out of concern for himself that what if a situation comes about? What if I begin to slip? What if I fall into some temptation, fall into some sins, and that leads me down a path that will cause me to start becoming this munafiq al-asghar, this minor munafiq. And then eventually that path of being a minor munafiq leads me to becoming a full munafiq. That was the fear that was in his heart. And this was the fear that was actually in the hearts of all the Sahaba. They were watchful of themselves. They were, all, they were never self-secure. That you know what? I'm completely fine. They would analyze their every deed and their every action to see, am I doing right or do I need to work on myself all the more? Another story in this regard is a story of Hanzala radiallahu an. Hanzala radiallahu an was a person. He was a Sahaba. One time when he's in this state of... Uh, he was with the Prophet ﷺ, he experienced you know, a certain state. He was in this state where he felt this iman high. And brothers and sisters, we all feel this sometimes. We're at the masjid, we're making dhikr, we're reading Qur'an, we feel this iman boost. We feel this iman high. But then sometimes we go away, we're with our friends, we're with our family, we're relaxing, we're at home. And we don't feel the same level of iman that we did when we were in the masjid. The same level of iman we did when we were reading Quran. The same level of iman when we were you know, studying Islam. So Hanzalah this happened to him once. This happened to him once. He noticed he was with his family and he doesn't feel the same state of iman with his family as he did when he was with, his, when he was with the Messenger of Allah So he thought to himself, Oh my God, I became a munafiq. Ya Allah, I became a munafiq. So he goes under the street and, he, and he's calling out, Nafaqa Hanzala, Nafaqa Hanzala. Hanzala became a munafiq. Hanzala became a munafiq. So Abu Bakr, he catches him. He knows he's a believer. He says, Oh, Hanzala, what's wrong with you? What are you saying? So he says, This is, what, this is my state. That when I'm with the Prophet, I feel this iman high. And when I'm with my family, I feel my iman is not on the same level. So Abu Bakr is like, Wait a minute, I feel the same way. And now here you have both of them. Abu Bakr of all people and Hanzala radiallahu anhu in this state of fear. They go to the Prophet sallallahu And when they go to the Prophet sallallahu they tell him that their state. What did the Prophet sallallahu tell them? When they told him this, they told him that he says, لَوْ تَدُومُونَ عَلَى الْحَالِ الَّتِي تَقُومُونَ بِهَا مِنْ عِنْدِي لَصَافَحَتْكُمُ الْمَلَائِكَةِ he said, if you were to be able to maintain the same level of iman that you have with me at all times, continuously, the angels would come and shake your hearts, shake your hands. However, he mentions to him, وَلَكِنْ يَا حَمْزَلَ سَاعَةً وَسَاعَةً He says, if you were to able to maintain that state, that's the state you would, you would be shaking hands with the angels. Meaning, literally, you would be a very high level wali of Allah, like the prophets. But he said, oh, alhamdulillah, the Prophet ﷺ don't tell him, make sure you do this, do that, do this, do that, to become like this. No, what did he tell him? He says, وَلَكِنْ يَا حَمْدَلَ سَاعَةً وَسَاعَةً He said, but alhamdulillah, know this, there's a time for this, and there's a time for that. Don't feel bad about this. It's natural that when you're with the Prophet, your iman's gonna be high. And it's natural when you're with your family, your heart's gonna be with them. As long as you're not doing something haram, don't worry about it. Brothers and sisters, why, why mention this story in the first place? First of all, let's understand this up and down that we feel is nothing to feel guilty about. As long as we're not falling into sin. As long as we're not falling into deception. As long as we're not falling into these qualities of those things that are truly nifaq. And we're about to get to them now. Rather, what is it saying? It's saying that, look, 
Look at the state of the Sahaba themselves. Abu Bakr, Hanzala, Umar, radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'een. They were so watchful of themselves that if they felt any fluctuation in their faith, they would immediately go to the Prophet seeking a resolution for the situation. This is the quality of a believer. We don't have question that these people had the highest level of iman. These were people that the Prophet promised them paradise in this very life. But this is how they reached that stage. is because they were always self-critical of themselves. They didn't rely upon the fact that, you know what, I've been given a ticket to paradise, kick back and relax. No, they were always striving, always working to increase. So now we come back to our original point. Why did the Prophet ﷺ tell us these five, these five different points in these two different narrations? So that a believer, hearing these things, they will be able to do this self-analysis, this self-criticism, that do I have these qualities of hypocrisy within me, or do I not? Because if I find them within me, what am I supposed to do? I need to work on removing that quality from within me. If I find myself slipping in this regard, I need to find a way to uproot this. I'm not happy being in that state. If I find all of them, I'm not happy that I'm standing in front of Allah and I'm considered to be a complete munafiq, even if it's a minor munafiq. Even if it's a minor munafiq, I don't want that term to be on me. And if I find one quality within me, I'm not going to be happy having even one quality within me. I need to work on removing it. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ said that وَإِن كَانَتْ خَسْلَةٌ مِّنْهُنَّ فِيهِ كَانَتْ فِيهِ خَسْلَةٌ مِّنَ النِّفَاقِ If he finds one quality of nifaq, one of these qualities within him, then he has one quality of nifaq within him. Until حَتَّى يَدَعَهَا Until he abandons that quality. Meaning what? Meaning if it's in you, brothers and sisters, let's realize it's a, we're able to also get rid of that quality. We're, just because it's within us, doesn't mean we have to be stuck with it. If someone comes to you and says, Allah save us, Allah forbid, Allah protect us, that, oh, you know what, uh, uh, you have this sickness within you, You're, you've been diagnosed with this sickness. Everyone's going to be like, okay, what do I need to do to get rid of the sickness? What medicine do I need to take? What, what, what treatment do I need to pursue? What do I need to do to work on removing this disease from within me? We don't say, oh, well, I have the disease within me. No one says that. Everyone starts going doctor to doctor trying to find a way to remove that disease. If we find one of these diseases of our soul within us, brothers and sisters, we should feel the same way. What can I do to remove this from within me? So we are going through these traits for this very purpose, to know and understand and recognize what are those qualities that I need to remove from within me. So inshallah, we'll go through these five and we'll explain them. So the first one that's mentioned in the first hadith is it mentions... That When a person speaks, to, speaks, they speak in lies. When they speak, they lie. Okay, so now we have to understand a very important point. The word kizb or kazib in Arabic, it means khilafil waqi'ah. It means something being contrary to what actually took place. Now understand that there's two ways this, this happens. One of the ways is that a person says something and actively they know that it's a lie. When they speak, they know within themselves it's a lie. That you're, you're testifying to it being truthful with your tongue and with your heart you, you acknowledge and you know with full reality that it's a lie. This is a quality that a person needs to do whatever they can to remove it from within them. 
Why? Because this quality, it comes in one hadith. I'm not seeing the hadith right now. It's mentioned and it's explained. Yeah. It's a, sorry, it's not a hadith, but Hassan al-Basri, rahimahullah again, one of the great ulama from the tabi'een. He mentioned, Usus al-nifaq al-nifaq alladhi bunya alayhi al-nifaq. The foundation of hypocrisy upon which all other hypocrisy is built upon. Al-Kadhib. The foundation of hypocrisy upon which all the remainder of hypocrisy is built is telling lies. What is that telling lie? That you're saying something with your tongue even though you deep down you know it to be untrue. Okay. Understand that this type of lie, this is what is the detrimental lying. Understand there's another category that we sometimes refer to as lies. And in Arabic, it is considered to be in the definition of kadhib. In English, sometimes people call it a lie, even though people don't actually intend it to be a lie. And that's a person says something, and they intend it to be truthful, but they actually made a mistake, and it's not. We say things all the time, with a lot of conviction sometimes even. And we believe it with all our heart, but actually we make a mistake. We had a blunder. This is not the type of lying that's referred to when it's talking about nifaq. When he speaks, he lies. It's not referring to this. People make mistakes. People, they make mistakes. That you, you, spoke, you said something and you intended from the bottom of your heart that is true. But you made a mistake. And eventually you find out that actually what you said was completely opposite to that. You had no treachery, you had no deceit, you had no ill will in mind. It was simply a human error. This is not considered to be a lie. There's a weak hadith. It's not a strong hadith. But that hadith has some corroboration. It's a hadith of Tirmidhi and Abu Dawood. That it's mentioned, by the, that it's, it's said. And this hadith, although it's weak, the meaning we can say, it has a, a true meaning. And that's what we will attribute it to the Prophet ﷺ. At the very least, it was mentioned by the pious predecessors before us. And it's been confirmed in meaning through the meaning of other ahadith. And that is, إِذَا وَعَدَ الرَّجُلُ وَنَوَىٰ أَن يَفِي بِهِ أَن يَفِيَ بِهِ فَلَمْ يَفِي فَلَا جُنَاهَ عَلَيْهِ If a person says something, and he intends to fulfill, and to be accurate, and to be truthful in what he, say, what he says, but he's actually inaccurate. He actually is not able to fulfill the truth of what the, the to fulfill the reality of what he said. Then there's no blame upon him. Why? Because he didn't intend to lie. He made a mistake. And the Prophet in another hadith he mentioned, All the children of Adam they make mistakes. They habitually make mistakes. Walakin, what does he say after that? He says, But the best of those who repent. Are those who repent? Uh, sorry, the best of those who make mistakes are those who repent. So yes, mistakes can be made. People do make mistakes. This is not from the attributes of hypocrisy. So if you if this happens to you, don't get heartbroken over it. The type of lying that we're saying is when a person actively, intentionally says things that they know de- completely with certainty is a total and complete lie. This is one of those attributes of nifaq. Second hadith, sorry, the second point in the hadith is mentioned. إِذَا وَعَدَ أَخْلَفَ 
That when a person makes a promise, he goes against his promise. When a person makes a promise, he goes against his promise. Brothers and sisters, just like the first one had two categories, that a person intent, he makes a promise intending to break it. Some people, they make a promise intending to break it. Or they make a promise and later on they intentionally break it. With no informing the other person, no coming to terms. No, they, they do it with the full intention of breaking it. Right? That, and this is actually the hadith I mentioned is in relation to this in, in reality. That a person makes a promise fully intending to break it. This is the type of attribute that is within the attributes of the munafiq. That you tell someone, I'll be there. I'll be there at this place in this time. And then what happens, that place comes or that time comes and the person don't want to be seen. Unfortunately, it's sad to see how much this happens. A person will come, make an appointment, make a plan. Brother, you know, please, please, please do this, do this. And then you'll go and you'll wait for them and you'll wait for them and you'll wait for them and the person never shows up. You call them up, oh man, I, you know what? Uh, I made other plans. You made other plans, why did you make me promise to come in the first place? Right? We make an appointment, we don't fulfill that appointment. If a person makes that type of a promise that I'll meet you here, I'll be there, or I'll do this for you, or I'll do that from you. And when the, from the moment they make their promise, they've already decided, yeah, I'm not going to do it. They make the promise intending to break it. This is the quality that we're talking about. That this is from the qualities of nifaq. If you can't, if you're not going to do it, then don't say you'll do it from the first place. However, sometimes it happens, we're human, we make a promise and we intend from the bottom of our hearts, we intend that we're going to fulfill it. That was the hadith that actually I quoted. That a person makes a promise intending to fulfill it, but they're not able to fulfill it. Something happens, something comes up, they're human, they make a mistake. This is not from the qualities of nifaq. Yes, a person should still try to avoid that because it causes other people inconvenience. But this is not from the attributes of hypocrisy. Rather, the attributes of hypocrisy is a person says it intending to break it. From day one, I'm selling this car and I know all these things about it that are complete lies. From day one, I'm lying to a person about it. Right? All these things, these are from the qualities of hypocrisy. Number three. إِذَا خَاصَمَ fajra. This is a, a very delicate one. That when a person enters into an argument, and a person enters into a debate, a person enters into a dispute, they transgress the bounds. What does it mean you transgress the bounds in a dispute? Imam Ibn Rajab al-Hambali, he explains that when a person enters into a dispute, they go so headlong into the dispute that they make the truth into falsehood and they turn the falsehood into the truth. I remember one time, you know, when I was young, I, I actually, at one point in time, I wanted to really become a lawyer. Right? So I told my mom, I want to be a lawyer. She She's like, no, 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 don't be a lawyer. Why? She said, because lawyers, they're all liars. Because they take a case on, they take a client on, and they're so, it's so important to them to defend their client, because now they have the responsibility. They'll do whatever they have to, and by the way, I'm not making a, a, a broad spectrum judgment on lawyers, right? There's a lot of honest, hardworking, sincere lawyers out there, right? But by way of example, it happens frequently in that domain. That when a person enters into a dispute, whatever they can say, whatever they can do to win the dispute, to win the argument, to win the debate, they'll say it, they'll do it. They'll even turn the lies into truth, and the truth is into lies. They'll know full and well something is inaccurate, but they'll say it anyway just to be able to win the debate. 
right? Make, they'll make up statistics just because they want to win a, you know, a water cooler argument. When a person is going into a dispute, going into a debate, going into an argument, that they transgress the bounds. Why? Because what is the true reality of a believer when they enter into a debate? Imam Shafi'i rahimullah, he mentioned that when I enter into a debate for, with someone, he said, I, have, I make dua to Allah that the truth comes upon his tongue before it comes upon my tongue. Imam Shafi would say, when I debate somebody, I make dua to Allah that Allah allows the truth to become manifest on his tongue before it becomes manifest on my tongue. Why? Because at least I know if he says the truth and I hear it on his tongue, I know I'm ready to say, you know what, I was wrong, you're right. But I don't know if he'll be willing to do the same thing. So it's better for him to be right and me to be wrong and me to accept that I'm wrong and, and, and allow him to win the debate because my purpose of debating him was to get to the bottom of the truth. My purpose of debating him wasn't to win the argument. Brothers and sisters, we fall into this so much. We want to win the argument so much that it doesn't matter if we're wrong. It comes in one narration that the Prophet ﷺ guaranteed a specific place in Jannah. A specific place in a certain part of Jannah. For that person that was ready to give up an argument even if he was wrong. And here is the exact opposite. That even when you're wrong, you're still willing to argue and debate. So this is the quality of the hypocrite. When he enters into a dispute, when he enters into a debate, he transgresses the bound. What is transgressing the bound? That a person is now not willing to accept the truth. Rather, a person will now even work against the truth. I'll lie, I'll deceive, I'll say whatever I have to say, I have to win the argument. And sometimes the argument is something stupid. Sometimes the argument is something meaningless. Sometimes the argument is something that is very pointless. And yet I have to win the argument. Right? Yes, if a person is trying to win the argument and he's, he's speaking the truth and only the truth, then okay, even then it would be better for him to leave the argument. But at least that person doesn't have the quality of hypocrisy within him. But a person who will defy the truth, who will go against the truth, who will twist the truth for the sake of winning the argument, be wary because this is now from the qualities of nifaq. This is now from the qualities of nifaq. Ibn Rajab continues and he explains, he explains the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ to show how far can people go in this regard. The Prophet ﷺ, he once mentioned, and brothers and sisters, bear this in mind because this is worth paying good attention to. First of all, it comes in one hadith in Bukhari and Muslim that the Prophet ﷺ said, Indeed, the most hated, most detestable of persons to Allah is the person who transgresses the bounds in debate. The person who becomes stubborn in his argumentation. They come, become headstrong when it comes to their disputes and their argumentation. This is the person who is the most hated in the eyes of Allah. In another hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, إِنَّكُمْ لَتَخْتَصِمُونَ إِلَيَّا وَلَعَلَّ بَعْدَكُمْ أَنْ يَكُونَ أَلْحَنُ بِحُجَّتِهِ مِنْ بَعْدٍ وَإِنَّمَا أَقْضَى عَلَى نَحْوِ مِمَّا أَسْمَعَ فَمَنْ قَضَيْتُ لَهُ بِشَيْءٍ مِنْ حَقِّ أَخِيهِ فَلَا يَأْخُذْهُ فَإِنَّمَا أَقْطَعُ لَهُ قِطَعَةً مِنَ النَّارِ The Prophet ﷺ in his hadith, he explains the hadith of Sahih Muslim. He mentions this point, he says like, look, you, you people, you bring your, your, your disputes to me. You bring your disputes to me. 
And sometimes it can be perhaps that one of you is more sharp with his tongue, more gifted with his tongue, better able to present his arguments than, his, than the other. You are coming to me with your disputes. You have a dispute amongst yourselves between your brothers. One of you is more eloquent in the way he's able to present his argument than the other. So I will make a judgment based on what I hear. I will make a judgment based on face value. Brothers and sisters, the Prophet ﷺ would do this and this would happen to him so that we can take a big lesson from it. Because the Prophet received revelation. We don't receive revelation. The Prophet says, I will judge based on what I hear. So if anything should happen that I'm based on the arguments presented in front of me, if any of you, if I, were, if I, if I am to make a decision by which the right of your brother comes to you, meaning somebody else, you got into a debate with your brother, because you made a better argument, you actually won the debate, and you know deep down that, you know what, my brother deserves a portion of this. I, I got more than I'm deserving of. If you know it, then make sure you return it back to him. Do not take that portion of your brother knowingly, even if the Prophet is the one that made the decision regarding it. Why? Because you've taken for yourself, that portion that you've taken for yourself is the portion of the fire. Why? Because you made a good argument. That doesn't mean you were right. This shows that sometimes people in their arguments and in their debates, they will do this. Even though they're wrong, even though they're inaccurate, they will fall into a situation, they will go into a situation, they will say and do things that will take away even other people's rights. And the people that fall into this situation, it comes in another hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, narrated in Abu Dawood. That Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu narrates on the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam قال من خاصم في باطل وهو يعلمه لم يزل في سخط الله حتى ينزع He says a person who argues a person who makes a dispute on the basis of wrongdoing of doing something wrong and he knows that he's wrong he knows that it's false a person enters into a debate on false premises and he knows it's false that person will remain in the anger and the wrath of Allah until he leaves the matter. Brothers and sisters, this is how detrimental this quality is. And this is why the Prophet mentioned it's from amongst those qualities that are the qualities of the hypocrites. We have two more inshallah. We'll try to finish up real quickly. The fourth quality, When a person enters into an agreement, he violates the agreement. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, وَأَوْفُوا بِالْعَهْدِ إِنَّ الْعَهْدَ كَانَ مَسْؤُولًا Fulfill your agreements, because your agreements shall be asked about. Meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask about you, those agreements you enter into. So that person who intentionally violates the agreements he enters into, this person is a person that is in a very, in a very misfortunate state. Why? Because Allah will ask him about those agreements. Even if that agreement is made with a disbeliever. Even the agreement made with a disbeliever, even that must be fulfilled. So now what can be the case if a person makes an agreement with a Muslim? Amongst those things are not only those agreements that we make that are big contracts, even the promises that we make to our brothers that are small agreements between friends. If I promise someone that, you know what, I'm going to sell you this bottle of water. I made that promise to that person, so I offer you know, Arshad, this bottle of water for one dollar. And I said, you know what? I'm going to sell you this bottle of water for one dollar. He says, you know what? I accept. He goes to his car to get the, bottle, the, the, to get the money to come back and buy this bottle of water from me for one dollar. In the meantime, someone comes to me like really thirsty. He says, you know what? I'll buy that bottle for you for five dollars. 
I promised Arshad that, you know what, I'm going to sell him this bottle for a dollar. I can make five dollars here. You know what, here, take the five dollars. No, I made a promise to him that I'm going to sell him this bottle for a dollar. This is now an agreement that we came to. We have a contract here. We have a contract, even if it's just a dollar. Even if it's a bottle of water. It doesn't matter, we have a contract here. For me to violate that contract is violating something that I made a promise. And I'm going to be asked about that. This is from the qualities of the hypocrites. That you come into an agreement with someone, but then you violate it. So whatever agreements we make, if we make an agreement, fulfill that agreement. Yes, if on mutual terms, Al-Shad comes back with the money, he's like, you know what? Jazakallah khair, I wanted to sell this bottle for you, but this guy's offering me $5. It's okay. I'll take the $5 and we'll split the money or something. Come to a different agreement. Do it on mutual terms. Don't just break it like that. So this quality is also from those qualities of the hypocrites. That when you make a contract, you break it. Regardless of if it has to do with something of money, regardless of if it has to do with something of marriage, regardless if it has to do with any matter that is a contractual matter in Islam. And finally, the fifth quality is that tumina khan. When that person is entrusted with a matter, he violates that trust. When a person is given a matter of trust, they violate that trust. A person comes to an individual and says, please, can you hold this for me? Can you take care of this for me? A person will then go take that and, and misuse it, abuse it, throw it away. This quality of treachery, yes, let me clarify a certain point here. Sometimes things happen that are out of our controls. Certain things that are trust, they've been given to us as a trust, it's out of our control. Mistakes happen. We're not talking about something that accidentally something happened and then you know, a blunder took place. No, when a person intentionally takes a trust with the intention of violating it. That from the moment I take that trust, my intention is, I'm going to be very treacherous with this. That you know what, someone comes to me and is like, you know what brother, I need someone to hold my money for, for, for a bit. Can you just hold on to this for me? I'm going to go and come back. He's like, you know what, yeah, I needed, I needed some money in the first place. I take that money and I go buy something with it. Or a person comes to me and says, you know what, I have this, you know, really nice car and I need someone to just look, you know, someone to park it. I don't want no one to steal it. I'm going to be out of town for like two weeks. Can I park it in your driveway? He just tells me, can I park it in your driveway? Like, yeah, it's fine. Park it in your driveway. Leave the keys though. Right? Why? Because when he's gone, I'm going to be driving it all over town. You know, I'm not, my car, I'm not going to use it no more. For, for, as long as the person's away, I'm going to be using it. He trusted me with it and I'm using it without his permission. Yes, it's different if I asked him, is it okay if I use your car? Or if he tells me, please use my car. But if he didn't tell me and he just asked me to hold it, then you know what? Hold it and do exactly what you've been trusted to do. So these five qualities, brothers and sisters, in different narrations, but collectively, these are the qualities that the Prophet ﷺ warned us of, that these are the qualities of the hypocrites. And as we mentioned in the beginning, what are we, what are we speaking about that? What's known as al-nifaqul asghar, the minor form of hypocrisy. But even if it's minor, we don't want to have nothing to do with hypocrisy in our lives. And like the Prophet ﷺ mentions, who has, whoever has one quality of it, he has one quality of hypocrisy within him. So just like a person would not be happy with having any quality of disbelief within him, realize hypocrisy is the worst form of disbelief. So if a person has this quality within him, just like a person would not be happy having one quality of disbelief, realize that the person of hypocrisy, Allah says about them, that they will be in min darqil asfali min an-nar. They will be in the lowest pit of Jahannam, the lowest pit of the fire. We don't want to have any of these qualities of nifaq within us, so we want to strive to remove them from our lives. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to be pure and completely free from these evil qualities of nifaq. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khayri khalqi Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabi ajma'in. Bi rahmatik 
Ya Arhamur Rahimina, Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen.